The Heather McCoy Show. Welcome to The Heather McCoy Show. I hope you're having a great Tuesday morning. Um, we have a busy Tuesday morning. Later on in the show, we'll have Green Party presidential candidate, Dr. Jill Stein. And then rounding out the hour, we'll have another report from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest with Robert Larson. But first, we're going to start off like we do most mornings with uh, This Week in Stadium Debauchery with Neil DeMouse, blogger behind fillthescheme.com. Uh, welcome again to the show, Neil. Good morning, Heather. Um, so uh, last week we were talking about Minnesota and the, how city councilors and state representatives vote for stadium deals, even though the public isn't in favor of them. We, you know, you, you basically said showing leadership, as they like to say. Uh, like yesterday, you blogged about a poll conducted by K. STP of Minnesota residents that shows Minnesotans would be less likely to vote for a politician uh, that passed the Vikings deal. However, uh, the exciting, however, the exciting progress. Uh, it is troubling the amount of people that said it really made no difference. Um, as a blogger and author that deals with the dirty details of stadium deals, uh, do you see a growing interest in these issues? Um, you know, I mean, it, it was, what, 42% overall that said uh, it wouldn't make a difference whether somebody voted for a Viking stadium deal. And yeah. know, that's, that's fair. I mean, it, it doesn't have to be your first choice, right? I mean, there's plenty of times you hold your nose and vote for somebody or, or figure I'm going to vote against this guy no matter what, or I'm not going to vote for anybody no matter what. Um, so, you know, the fact that you had a little over half the people in Minnesota saying that uh, the stadium deal was going to make a difference in who they voted for, I think was, was a pretty strong showing of concern. And it was also interesting that across the board, um, you know, you had uh, people saying that they would vote against this, you know, men, women, young, old, um, you know, uh, to some degree Republican and Democrat, um, you know, there was a very strong feeling that if people were going to, to make this a reason, uh, you know, to change their vote, it was going to be to vote against the people who approved the stadium deal, which is, you know, remarkable given that, um, you know, the elected officials are always saying, well, you know, we, uh, we have to vote for these things because, you know, we don't want people to be angry if we let the team leave town. Um, it, it, it's shown time and time again that people tend to be way more angry about spending hundreds of millions of dollars on stadium deals than they are over the threat, real or uh, imagined, of the team leaving. Well, I think the reason why it's concerning for me is uh, over here in California, I think the voters of San Diego, and I can't remember the other city off the top of my head, the voters actually voted to take back pensions that were guaranteed to workers. And to f the fact that people will begrudge you know, city workers in an economic downturn about their pensions and then not seemingly really care about something like this, although they're separate re parts of the re you know, country, it, to sure. me that's a pr concerning part. Yeah, well, you know, it's uh, the stadium deals get so much, they seem so much murkier, you know. I mean, it's certainly public spending, but there's all this argument, oh, well, you know, it'll come back and we'll get economic benefit. And, um, you know, after all of the sort of high-powered uh, lobbying and, and uh, you know, public media stuff that went on in Minnesota, um, arguing that this wasn't really going to cost people, um, the people of Minnesota, anything, um, you know, I think the fact that most people still are upset by the deal um, is uh, is significant, but you know, you know, clearly voters aren't right on everything, you know, and voters change their minds on things. And sometimes <laughs> yeah. they'll they'll you know withdraw pensions and then realize, oh wait, that was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, but um, you know, I, I, the, what I thought was interesting about the Minnesota poll was just that you know it sort of blows up the notion that the public is clamoring for these deals to get done. Um, you know, invariably, I think we may have talked about this last week that you know the. Uh, 
the uh, the only time that that public votes win on stadium deals is when the pro stadium side outspends the anti stadium side by enormous percentages. I think it was 100 to one you mentioned last. 100 to one is pretty much the the boundary line. It was when I first looked at this, it was about 30 to one, and then I started looking at more recent uh, votes. And now it looks like it's more like 100 to 1 that you have to outspend the opposition. Yeah, um, and then moving on to uh, another part of the country, um, although the public hearing in Seattle about a new basketball-slash-hockey arena wasn't really much other than a public forum for supporters and opponents of the deal, it didn't sound like one side really swayed the other. A very sad reoccurring theme did occur there. Um, it seems that the construction unions are, are always with the being in the pro arena side of the aisle. Uh, why do these unions seem to do the bidding of wealthy team owners instead of being very pro-public rail project or something more productive? Yeah, construction unions, unfortunately, right now in this country, have a tendency to support anything that's going to mean <laughs> jobs to their members. You know, they're not taking big picture view of, you know, what is actually going to, um, you know, uh, be the best for the community or unions as a whole or anything like that. It's just, oh, somebody wants to build something, we have to support it. Um, and unfortunately, in a lot of the country, what happens is the, a lot of the other unions tend to uh, sort of fall into line behind them if they don't have, you know, a, a particular reason to, uh, to, you know, support or oppose it. Like in Seattle, the, the unions that work with the Port of Seattle, which would be dealing with additional traffic, are upset about this. Um, but a lot of times other unions follow the construction union's lead, which is ridiculous because then you get into situations where, you know, the city or the state spends so much money that they can't afford to pay the pensions that they promised. Um, but, you know, we're, we're, we're not at a great time in this country for um, the labor movement to sort of take those big picture views on uh, <laughs> on public spending. Yeah, it, it, it actually it reminds me of is in California the prison unions basically were in behind almost any like any more draconian laws or any time a prison was being built they were like yay you know it, they, it seems like they were kind of you know cheerleading them on. Yeah, well, and there was a problem you know that right now you know unions are fairly fairly weak. Um, and a lot of them are, you know, sort of casting their lot with, uh, with the industries they work, work with, you know, and saying, okay, well, you know, we've all got to pull together and, uh, you know, uh, be partners in trying to boost the industry, and there'll be more money for everyone, and then we'll fight about it when it gets to the negotiating table. Um, but, you know, the idea that the interests of an industry, whether it's prisons or sports, um, might not um, directly align with the interests of the workers in that industry is... Um, you know, again, it's a it's a political concept from another time, right now. Yeah, although I really don't like to just on unions because I was part of uh, USCW three twenty four grocery workers. I I still have that green shot or screenshot PDF that you put up of the forty ers playing union members to try to defeat the referendum that uh, the second referendum that was put on the ballot. And it was kind of intimidating what they wanted to do with the people that were trying to get signatures for the referendum. Yeah, no, they they pulled out all the stops and trying to get union members involved. I mean, I, I always wonder what the actual you know rank and file of these unions, especially the construction unions, feel about some of these deals. I mean, you know, I'm sure some of them are just thinking, hey, you know, more jobs for us. Um, but you know, again, in every city, it seems like you know they just get bust in to uh, any public hearings. And you know, I really wonder if you know some of them who have. Uh, Again, a little bit more of the big picture uh, political sense. I wonder what they think about sort of being used as as uh, you know cannon fodder for the for the 
the stadium wars. <laughs> yeah. Uh, staying in Seattle just a bit longer, I was just wondering how did the would-be arena builder Chris Henson use your work in Fill the Schemes, the book, to justify his arena deal? Yeah, well, what happened was I've been trying to, you know, actually do an even-handed look of who this is going to, who the costs are going to fall on in Seattle. And I had done an earlier one with sort of partial information where it looked like Seattle was going, the city of Seattle, right, taxpayers there were going to take a small loss on the deal. You know, basically what the, what the plan is here is that the city and the county would loan a bunch of money to um, the arena owner. He would, in exchange, the arena builder, he would, in exchange, um, pay rent. Um, he would get some taxes, tax money that would get kicked back to him that he would use to pay off the, these loans. Um, and then he would give, at the end of 30 years, he would, he would give, you know, once, once the lease was over, the, the, the land and the arena would go to the city. So that's worth something. Um, and my original calculation was it would probably cost Seattle like twenty, fifty million dollars somewhere in there. Um, I got more information, so I redid the numbers, and I figured, okay, um, it looks like it's hard to say one way or the other, but the city would probably roughly break even. They would probably roughly get back what they uh, would put out in terms of you know lost kickback taxes and things like that. Um, doesn't necessarily make it a great deal. Um, you know, they're still giving up. Um, something that's of value to Chris Hansen. They're giving, you know, giving him the ability to use public bonds. Um, you know, they're they're loaning him the money, um, and he would end up saving probably on the order of a hundred million dollars based on this. So, oh wow, could they negotiate a better deal? Very possibly. Um, will it possibly cost money to taxpayers elsewhere in Washington State because more money will get spent in Seattle as opposed to somewhere else? Very possibly. Um, you know, it's certainly better than a lot, an awful lot of deals, and I've been saying that consistently. But I, at this point, I said, um, "Well, it looks like the city of Seattle would, even though they'd be subsidizing, they would at least get their money back." And Chris Hansen, you know, uh, on his own blog, wrote this actually really gushing thing about how <laughs> I'm, you know, the, I re- literally wrote the book on stadium deals and how, uh, you know, even I, you know, now say that it would break even. Um, you know, he wants to say that, that's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it, it's not for me to say where the line is between a deal that's worth it and a deal that's not worth it. I think what I'm trying to do is establish, here's how much it will cost, here's how much the subsidy is, and then, you know, it should be up to Seattle voters and Seattle elected officials to say, okay, is jumping through all these hoops worth it in order to get a basketball team back? And, you know, it might be, and that's, that's fine, you know, even costing a small amount of money. I always say there's probably a price point where it makes sense to do a stadium or arena deal, um, and this one is close. It's certainly in the, in the ballpark, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that, that, that's up really. Th- this is why I wish that they would just hold a referendum on the thing, because I think it, it should be up to Seattle voters to say, okay, is this something that's worth it? And then he gets part of that $100 million as a tax-exempt bonds. Uh, so that, how does that exactly take money from the federal government? Um, basically, it's a little complicated, but basically what happens is um, because the interest on the bonds uh, or, or the, you know, the, the, the money that the bondholders make on the bonds, um, they don't have to pay taxes on, uh. they're willing to take a lower um, uh, interest rate. So the city gets to save money, they pass the savings along to Hanson, um, and ultimately it's money that, uh, that you know, comes out of the IRS's pockets. Um, so, 
you know, this, this is something that has been going on for a long time and something that actually uh, uh, Congress has been trying to crack down on for, how long ago was the 1986 tax reform? You know, yeah. for 25 years now. Um, and, you know, the, the, the stadium builders keep finding loopholes around it, basically. Yeah. I feel badly for waiting for so long to... Uh before I'm peeling this orange that is a new Wrigley Field deal, but recently uh, Bud Selig wanted to help refurbish the, the refurbishment effort by vowing to hold an all-star game there if a uh, deal is reached to get up to $300 million in public subsidies. How dumb does he think we are? Um, you know, it's his only his only arrow in his quiver, so he keeps using it, you know? Um, and, you know, he said he's done this before when, you know, there's... Uh, uh, a city considering a stadium deal. He says, "Oh, you're going to get a you're going to get a, an all star game if it happens," because um, you know he he himself you know individually controls where the all star game goes, so he can hand it out like uh, as a reward. Um, it, it doesn't really mean all that much. First of all, it's one all star game, and then you'll get another one maybe thirty years later. Um, but also, you know, the all star game is one day and a lot of people come into town but then you know if you're a city especially like chicago that already has tourists there in the summer um, it just means everybody else is going to steer clear of chicago that week because they're going to say oh the all-star game is going on we'll never get a hotel you know um, it'll be too crowded um, so you know it, it i don't want to say it ends up being a wash but the, the economic benefits and you know there are economists who've looked at this before the economic benefits of something like that are, are absolutely tiny certainly compared to what could be $300 million in subsidies for, for renovating Wrigley Field. I want to say, I think the plans for renovating Wrigley look potentially good, and it seems like they're sort of using the model of the rehab at Fenway Park, yeah. um, which would, you know, respect the history of the ballpark and try and find ways of, uh, of uh, you know, raising more revenue for the team without, you know, completely, uh, uh, you know, making the place uh, into some sort of horrible modern building. Um, but uh, the issue here, obviously, is who pays for it. And right now, Tom Ricketts has been trying to get Rahm Emanuel to give a whole lot of tax kickbacks um, and other things to, uh, you know, to help him pay for it. And um, we'll see. So far, he's been saying no, but uh, uh, a lot of that seems to be uh, predicated on his feud with Tom's dad over, <laughs> over the Obama attack ads that he was funding. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for your uh, report, Neil. And uh, he can be found at fillthescheme.com. And uh, thanks for joining us. Okay, talk to you next All time. right. And this is the Heather McCoy Show.